This is a Game Changer Team Manager production brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars. Growing the game, one podcast at a time. Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's the essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Unlike other team apps, Game Changer Team Manager is free, easy to use, and doesn't serve ads. You can learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Today on the show, we have the head coach of the University of Albany men's lacrosse team, Scott Marr. Coach Marr is on his 18th season as the head coach of Albany. During his time in Albany, Coach Marr has coached two Twarden winners, 29 All-Americans, six Twarden finalists, and eight America East Players of the Year. In 2017, Albany's offense ranked as high as number four in the nation for the second straight year. Albany is currently the two seed in the 2018 NCAA tournament. They play Richmond on Saturday in the first round. Coach Marr is a graduate of Johns Hopkins. He started his coaching career at Delaware. He then moved on to be the assistant coach for Dick Adell at Maryland for six years before moving on to be the head coach of Albany. Whether Coach Marr knows it or not, he had a major impact on my lacrosse career when I was a young camper at Maryland Lacrosse Camp. During the interview, we had the opportunity to talk about his entire coaching career, how empathy and compassion play an important role for him, and who transformed for him what it meant to be a head coach. This is a must-listen for players and coaches alike. Here's my interview with Coach Marr. Coach Marr, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Thanks for having me, man. I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, it's been a while since we talked. I'm happy to have you on the show, but let's get started. Uh, how'd you get started playing lacrosse? Well, when I was uh, probably like fourth grade, fifth grade or so, my, my two older brothers, uh, Doug and, and Chuck, both played. Um, <clears throat> Chuck, more recreational. My brother, Doug, played uh, freshman in JV and then, and then uh, <clears throat> tried, you know, a little varsity but uh, mostly freshman JV at Yorktown and kind of got me involved that way and then had a lot of friends playing I was fortunate uh, I, I went to a high school that was uh was big in lacrosse Yorktown high school and uh, right you know so there was, there was a lot of lacrosse being played around me so it was uh, it was pretty pretty easy to get into right right and uh at, at what point would you say uh you started thinking hey this is something that I want to play at the next level in college well, probably, I mean, I'll be honest with you, almost right away that I, I, I really fell in love with the game. Um, you know, I, I know uh, I, I played a lot of sports growing up. I swam, uh, I, I played baseball, I played football, I played soccer, uh, I played a lot of pond hockey. Uh, we didn't have any, any leagues of hockey in my area. I played hmm. basketball. But when I picked up lacrosse in sixth grade, I got cut from baseball and I went right to lacrosse practice the same day. And, and there was something about it. I just, I just absolutely fell in love with the game, and and uh, I knew this was what 
it was almost like uh, not a calling in a sense, but it just it just hit me like wow, this is a right. this is a fun sport, and I just I just I just took to it right away, and I I basically like I kept playing other sports as I grew older, but I always had my stick in my hand, and I always lacrosse was like the only thing I really thought about to be honest. Right, right, right. So. Um, what were some of the things you did, uh, I, I guess, from the beginning um, to get better at lacrosse? Well, there's two things I think that were the, the key to my success. Uh, I had a friend who would, had a lacrosse net in his backyard, and he didn't want it anymore, and, and I grabbed that from him. Hmm. So I put hmm. a lacrosse net in my backyard, and then uh, I had a telephone company up the street from where I lived, and it was a brick building, and I spent hours and hours throwing the ball against the wall, just right. like they tell you at camp. And just like they told us at youth league, you know, get on the wall and, and work on your right hand, your left hand, switch hands. And I really, from the time I started playing, uh, I lived against the wall and I never stopped uh, with the wall. In fact, I, I would throw against the wall before practice when I was a college player at Hopkins. Hmm. Um, you know, it just, it just always honing my skills and playing. So I, I really advanced quickly from probably the sixth grade to the ninth grade. Uh, to where my skills were were better than anybody else's skills on the on the field when I was playing in the ninth grade. So uh, that that wall is the, probably the best thing that could happen to any young kid who wants to to improve their skills. If you want to take the time, and I, and I honestly I really enjoyed it. I loved going to the wall. I put a box on it. I painted a painted a goal on it. You know that kind of stuff. And I just you know I just spent a lot of time there. And it was uh, it was always after hours. And the, and the telephone company finished at four. Uh, if I came before four, they would come out and yell at me because the, the sound would echo through the whole building. Right. But uh, <laughs> you know, again, it was just it was just time I spent by myself. It was great time. And you know, back then we had Walkman. You know, and I put my Walkman on and my earphones on and and listen to some music and and really just uh, just hone in my skills. Right, right. If you if you remember, I'm always curious about this. Do you did you have a wall ball routine? Yeah, you know, I would go. You know. <clears throat> You know, I'd go with my right hand, then I would go with my left hand, then I would catch right, throw left, switching, um, then I only cr- cross hand, you know, cross my body, uh, you know, and then and then eventually as I got older, I started throwing behind the backs, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. So, you know, started with the basics and then kind of as I worked my way up. Um, and then, you know, it, at my high school, we had a nice big uh, gym wall as well. I would go there and then I would run uh, up and down the wall. Uh, hmm. passing the ball on the run and catching on the run. So that was another good exercise as well. So right. um, again, there's so many things you can do with that, with that, just that, uh, that, that wall itself and one ball on your stick. And, and I remember John Zoberti from uh, Syracuse, you know, was a year ahead of me, but when I met him later on in life, uh, he had a, you know, a, a, an unbelievable wall routine, which was 10 different ways to throw the ball. So uh, again, you can get, you can get really creative with it. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so who were um who were some of the idols uh, who were some of the people that you looked up to while you were growing up in Yorktown? Well, um, there was a number of people. Probably guys who were maybe about six years or so older than me. Like I said, I started playing in sixth grade, so uh, I'm looking at guys like Timmy Schur, uh, who ended up being a, a world team player later on in life and uh, was a really good friend of our families. Um, Timmy Nelson. Uh, who ended up going to Syracuse and becoming, you know, the all-time lead assist guy for a long time and right. until, you know, Lyle Thompson broke it a couple of years ago. Uh, Tommy Nelson, Ed Trabolsi, uh Rob Bessley. Those guys were all attackmen at Yorktown, all All-Americans, um, all really, really solid players, all went on to be All-Americans in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were guys, you know, when I get in, like, 
from sixth grade to ninth grade to tenth grade, those are the guys who were playing when I was when I was really getting into it and watching Yorktown lacrosse play a lot. So um, all different styles. You know, Tommy was a more of a feeder. Uh, Timmy was a great feeder, obviously, the whole the all-time record there for a long time. Uh, Bexley was a great shooter. Uh, Ed Trabolsi was kind of uh, an in-between guy, uh, played could pass and and uh, and score. So, you know, just just learned a lot from watching those guys play and and and, and trying to emulate them again as a kid. You you try to emulate guys that are older than you, make the moves that they make, and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, you know, and and for us in Yorktown, we were very fortunate. We had Mr. Murphy, you know, Charlie Murphy, um, you know, opened his house up basically to Yorktown lacrosse and. So I was able to see those guys and, and meet them and, and be friends with them and uh, in, and catch with them and stuff like that, you know, and, and, and really learn again, just, you know, re- learn directly from them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just having some fun with them at Mr. Murph's house. So right. that was big. Right. So as a, as a high school player, um, you know, I know times have changed a lot, but what were some of the things that you did as a high school player to get noticed um, uh, by colleges? Well, I think times were a little bit different uh, back then. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, again, being from Yorktown, I think I had a, a little bit of an advantage mm-hmm. to some other kids, maybe from some other areas and other schools. Um, you know, you're going back now to 1985, 84, 83. Uh, you know, lacrosse wasn't as big as it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was only certain areas that really played. Um, but I think coming from Yorktown, we were already visible. So, um, we already had people looking at us. So as we were coming up the ranks, going to camps, uh, you know, I went to West Point camp when Dick Adele was there. Right. Um, then I went to Rutgers camp. Yeah. You know, I went to Rutgers camp. I met Bill Tierney. I met, uh, um, Tony Seaman. I met Dave Cottle, uh, Dave Urich, you know, all the, all those guys, those, those were the things back then where college coaches used to go to the camps and that's where they would start seeing people. So ninth, 10th grade, I started to be noticed a little bit, uh, talked to those guys. Um, and then I played empire state games, uh, which at the time in 1985 was, was in its second year of existence for lacrosse. And, uh, that's really where I got noticed and, um, and was recruited by Hopkins and Virginia and, uh, and Maryland and some other schools. But, um, the empire state games was really the, at that time was the premier thing to play. Uh, and I was really fortunate because I got hurt my junior year in high school and I didn't, I only played five games and I was out the rest of the season. I, I fractured my neck. Uh, I got oh, hit, wow. I got body check game. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough season. Um, you know, I was out, I was, uh, I, I was, I couldn't feel my legs or my arms for, for about four or five hours. I had a spinal cord concussion. Oh, um, I had a regular concussion. Yeah, I got hit pretty good. Wow, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I really was very fortunate that I had the Empire Games to, to kind of fall back on that 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 next summer. Um, you know, and that's where and that's really where I was seen when you went to Empires. You know, every major Division One college was there. I said Virginia, Hopkins, Syracuse, Maryland, North Carolina. You know, they were all there watching the games because it really brought everybody from around New York State, uh, some of the best players in the state, together in one area. So, right. kind of like the, you know these camps now and these showcase things where guys get to go to from all over the place and, and all the college coaches kind of congregate to a couple of them. That was basically what we had back then. So, right. Um, that, that's basically how I was seen. Right. So, you know, you, you said you were, uh, you know, you, you were approached by Virginia and Syracuse and Hopkins and what, uh, what ultimately made you decide on Hopkins? 
Well, again, uh, you know, as a, as a young kid, you know, younger in high school, uh, you know, 1983, I'm in ninth grade. Uh, the Syracuse-Hopkins rivalry at that time was really the main rivalry going. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played in the national championship in 83, 84, and 85. Um, so those were the only games that you really saw on television. Uh, ESPN would, you know, do what they do now. They would just kind of show the final four or show the final game. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I just, you know, watching the games at that time, um, I, I fell in love with uh, with Brian Wood um, at Hopkins in 1984 when he was a freshman. He scored the first three goals of the game. So I kind of was like just focused on Hopkins. I, I really thought, you know, just again, just just the way they played, their their history, the tradition uh, that they have at the school. Um, you know, and I really, when it came down to it, I was approached by a couple places, but when, when Hopkins came to me, coach Tierney was actually the assistant coach at the time. Um, you know, it was like, you know, for me, it was a home run. It was like, there was no, there was no other school that really, you know, compared to it to me. You know, like I said, I was, I came from, I came from tradition at Yorktown and then to go to tradition at Hopkins, um, that was a big lure for me. Um, but then again, like I said, I had an opportunity to play with my idol, uh, in Brian Wood. Brian was a senior when I was a freshman. So um, it was really kind of a dream come true. Right. And so did, did you feel like it was a fit right away? Yeah, there's no doubt. I, you know, I went down for my visit, uh, absolutely loved it. Um, you know, Dave Petromala was my host. Uh, he was a year ahead of me at Hopkins. And, you know, Dave and I actually met in high school in 11th grade. When I was in 11th grade, he was in 12th. We played against each other. And and then I had the opportunity again to, to meet with him and uh, and stay with him over the weekend. And, you know, I just, I love the campus itself. Uh, you know, again, the, just the tradition, uh, you know, coach Zimmerman, uh, I thought was a tremendous coach. I uh, loved coach Tierney, uh, you know, so every, everything for me just kind of fell into place on my visit. I, I had visited Penn, I had visited West Point uh, and I had visited Virginia. Uh, I was supposed to go to Maryland the week after I went to Hopkins, but I, I decided when I was at Hopkins on my visit that, that, uh, and I committed basically when I was there. So that, that was it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it, it just felt, it was the second I walked on campus, I felt like that was the place that I was, uh, I was destined to go. Right. Right. That's pretty cool. So, uh, you know, I, I, I could spend more time on your playing career, but I, I do want to move on, uh, you know, to your, to your coaching. <laughs> uh, say that again. I said that's good because my playing career wasn't wasn't stellar. I was, <laughs> I, was I was an average player. <laughs> well, so so what made you want to start coaching? Uh, to be honest with you, you know, my father was my was my coach in a lot of sports uh, growing up, hmm. and uh, you know, my father's my you know probably my biggest idol, I guess if you want to put it that way. Right. Um, but I just always had a knack for being around sports. I loved I loved uh, sports and. When I was in high school, I started coaching youth leagues and and being involved in our in our YAC at Yorktown. Um, you know, I just always felt like I was drawn to to being around it. Uh, I was a little bit of a uh, you know, in a sense, a, a lacrosse junkie. Mm-hmm. I guess as far as X's and O's and and Coach Turnbull and I, uh, when I was in high school, my head my head coach at Yorktown. Um, you know, I used to go have lunch with him. Uh, you know, when I was in tenth, eleventh grade, and we would talk X's and O's and I just always felt like it was just what I was meant to do or, or mm-hmm. just, you know, it was, uh, it was something I was really comfortable with and I, and I felt really confident in, in what I was doing. And I, and I really understood the game. Uh, again, I played a lot of sports growing up and I always felt like that I had a good uh, mind for different sports and different rules. And, 
how to apply things. But I, I think mm-hmm. I learned so much from my father uh, about how to coach and how to treat people and how to coach kids. And, you know, he was really, my dad was really po- positive and, and super positive with, with me and all my teammates and all my friends growing up. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was always neat to see how other kids reacted to my dad, you know, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and really enjoyed having him as a coach. So I kind of always kind of, to me, it was like, wow, I want to kind of be like my father, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, so so right from the beginning, you're thinking that this is going to be a career for you? No doubt. <clears throat> At some level, at first, I wanted to, I thought about going to school um, and getting a teaching degree and, and uh, being able to be a high school coach and, and maybe teach uh, like a history or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, when I got into college, I started coaching again, like just doing camps and whatnot. Um, and then I started getting into the college game again, similar type stuff with Coach Zimmerman, uh, mm-hmm. talking X's and O's, being around him, just kind of watching how it went at the college level. I kind of turned into like, I kind of felt like that age group and, 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 and coaching at the college level was really what I was more suited for. You know, I really wanted to, I wanted to compete at a high level. Um, and I felt like, and obviously at that time too, you know, college lacrosse was the highest level and, and, and being in division one would be the highest level I could coach at in the sport. So um, I really set my sights on wanting to be a, a you know a college a college coach. Right, and so I, I want to make sure I got the the chronology correct. The the first job for you is is Delaware. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Right. I graduated. I fi- I finished playing. My eligibility was done in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, I graduated in 1991 from Hopkins. I took a fifth year uh, academically. Um, and then I basically, you know, go back to my father, you know, I, I went to, uh, Empire State Games in the summer. Um, and, uh, my, my younger brother, David, I think is r- maybe right around your age. Mm-hmm. Um, and David was playing in the Empire Games and my father had struck up a conversation with coach Schillinglaw, uh, at breakfast or something or in the elevator. Uh-huh. And, uh, my dad was like, you know, gosh, Delaware is looking for a coach. He's like, why don't you go talk to him? And I said, Dad, you know, we'll see. You know, I'll, I'll meet the guy. Right. He said, No, he's down eating breakfast. I said, Dad, he's eating breakfast by himself. I'm not going to bother him. And my my father basically like he basically dragged me over to him and uh, interrupted him uh, politely and and uh, we sat down with him and and uh, basically talked to Shills for a little bit and he was kind enough to offer me a a chance to come to campus next week and and discuss the opportunity for, for the job. And, and I did that. And, uh, you know, it was between myself and, and one other person, um, a young man from Loyola, High, uh, Loyola college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough. Shields offered me the job and the position and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's where I got my start. So, you know, wow. I was a volunteer my first year or my first two years I was a volunteer. And then I got paid slightly a little bit there my last uh, year and a half, uh, working mm-hmm. in the weight room. But, uh, yeah, just a just a great opportunity. Again, I, I, my first job was was coaching at a Division One uh, school. Right. Yeah. yeah that, that's a, that's a, that's an incredible story. I, it sounds like your dad and my dad are very similar. We could, <laughs> it would have been the exact same situation. Um, but so so that first year of coaching, um, can you talk about if you can remember what were some uh, what were the biggest lessons you learned? What were the biggest surprises of that first year? <clears throat> Well, I think that, I think for me, um, you know, it's funny. I was I was doing another interview this morning, and you know, I, I uh, <clears throat> a lot of people talk about my time at Maryland, you know, with Coach Adele, and, and we had a lot of success there. But I think we had similar success at Delaware. Um, <clears throat> but I think the greatest thing for me 
uh, at Delaware and when I first started coaching um, is that Coach Law really gave me uh, an opportunity to be to be me and uh, hmm. you know and, and to to be able to coach and to to be myself and to to you know kind of bring uh, my thoughts to the table. Um, it wasn't like he, you know, gave me a piece of paper every day or gave me an assignment every day and here you do this or, you know, he was, uh, he was, he was very open, very open-minded. We talked a lot about lacrosse, um, you know, Shills has a great mind for the game and, and he really gave me the confidence, you know, over those, not just my first year, but over the course of the three years that I was there, uh, I gained so much confidence in myself, uh, as a coach. Um, because he gave it to me, you know, and he, and he, and he, and he let me experiment. He let me work with the guys. He let me build those relationships with the players, um, you know, at Delaware, who I, again, to, to this day, still keep in touch with Thomas Stanziali and MV mm-hmm. Whitlow and, and Anthony DiMarzo and Ryan Kelly and Brad Glowacki, these guys. And, you know, he really gave me that, that, uh, <clears throat> again, he, he, he instilled the, he instilled the, 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 the confidence, but he also empowered me to grow, you know, and he gave me the opportunity to grow as a coach uh, by trial and error a little bit, you know, and, and uh, right. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I, I that I took away from Shills, and it's and it's and it's how I treat my assistants now, hmm. um, you know, that I, I don't stifle them. He didn't, he never stifled me. He never said, oh no, that's not a great idea, or or no, we're not going to do it this way, or again, we didn't always agree. We talked things out, but he never, it was never um, a situation where I wasn't allowed to express you know, my thoughts on a situation or, you know, or, or anything, whether, whether I dealt with a player's individual, you know, personality or something going on in the team or an off the field incident or whatever, he really, uh, you know, like I said, he really empowered me to make and help him make decisions, you know, and I think that was important in my growth in those three years. So that when I did go to Maryland, I was a really confident coach, right? you know, right. and I had so much, I had so much experience uh, in the three years at Delaware going from, I think we were eight and eight, my first year to, to 10 and seven or something, or 10 and, or 10 and six or somewhere in that range. We, we, you know, we, we really grew in those three years uh, with that mm-hmm. team. So, um, I think that that's important. I think for any young coach out there or for any, you know, other head coaches out there that they, they give their, their, their assistance, um, that ability to grow, you know, and I think that mm-hmm. was, you know, I'll, I'll always be thankful for, for coach Schilling law for giving me that opportunity. Right, right. So um, I'm curious, uh, you know, you sort of you answered one of the questions that I had. It, 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 uh, you mentioned that um, with your assistants now, you try to give them the sort of freedom to grow and learn um, on their own. Well, I'm, I'm sort of curious, what are you looking for in an assistant coach? Because, you know, obviously it's, it's one thing to, uh, you know, to hire an assistant coach and say, like, I trust you to make the decisions, but you also have to be looking for a, uh, you have to be looking for the right person in order to give them that trust. Right. So, so what, what are you looking for in an assistant coach? What do you want to see maybe even in the younger coaches, um, so that you feel comfortable giving them the freedom? Well, again, I, I think, um, you know, the, 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 the mind that they have, the thought process that they go through, um, you know, their, uh, their temperament, you know, are they, are they, are they hyper? Are they, are they overzealous? Are they, you know, you know, they, uh, 
too anxious. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I look for guys who are, are, are level-headed, um, that think the game, uh, understand, understand, uh, how things work. I'm really fortunate. I think in, in some places are different too. Like I'm very fortunate right now that I have all three of my assistants, uh, all played for me. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so they have a really great understanding of the school, how the school itself works, the, the academic side of things, the social side of things, um, you know, and then they also understand what kind of players I'm looking for, um, mm. and what kind of people I'm looking for. You know, I think you want play, you want coaches that are going to have, you know, empathy. They're going to have compassion for other people. They're going to, uh, you know, be willing to go to great distances to to make things work for people. Um, you know, and to be able to listen. You know, I don't think, mm. you, you, I think one thing you don't want to be as a young, as a young coach is is again overzealous talking too much saying having a, a, a strong opinion on everything uh whereas my guys are all again a uh, little bit more low-key a little bit more um again understanding of, of people and the way we want to work things uh i guess you know and and again for me i knew them i knew them prior to uh your coaching so I'm, I'm not necessarily going out so when i look for coaches now if my any one of my assistants were to leave me now um, the next person I would look for to replace them would be one of the 17 guys I have in college coaching now. Right. I have uh, seven different guys that are in the coaching ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to put out a coach, at least one or two coaches a year, um, into the into the coaching ranks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm, the two, you know, I have four head coaches, um, all all four in Division Two right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have probably 12 or so assistants that are on D1 programs. So I kind of have, you know, have built a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a feeder system mm-hmm. in a sense to keep coming back to me. Right. Um, so that's, so again, that's a good thing for us. But I think, right. I think we've created, I think we've created that though by the environment that we've had here. So all of my players that are going on the coaching, I think they're, they wanted to get into it because of how they experienced their, how their experience went here at Albany. Right. You know how positive it was, and they want to give back and and have that same experience for themselves as coaches, but then hopefully spread the same kind of positive, uh, you know that they that they received here. Right, right, makes sense, makes sense. So, uh, so let's talk about you making the move uh, to Maryland. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not only one of the biggest programs in the history of the sport, but also Hopkins' biggest rival. Uh, what was it like making yeah. that move from Delaware to, uh, to Maryland? Yeah. I mean, well, at that point, I, I think I took away the, the rivalry part of it and stuff. And I looked at it as an opportunity to, to coach at, at one of the, uh, one of the greatest, uh, lacrosse institutions there were at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, I'd been, again, I'd been with coach Hills for three years, uh, and, and the opportunity arose uh, again, I was, I was making limited money, at Delaware, um, not that I made that much more at Maryland uh, in those in those days. Back then, you know, we had what they called a restricted earnings position, um, which the third assistant, you know, made about uh, ten or twelve thousand dollars. So, um, but I, you know, I was I was uh, I was married three years, um, but it just again it, it just you know in the coaching world and like anything else, you know, opportunities arise and and you have to look at different opportunities and. And obviously, going from uh, Delaware and making the step up to uh, to Maryland was was a little bit of a jump uh, forward uh, for me. And you know, um, you know, I, I, I 
like I said, my first lacrosse experience as a sixth grader, I was 12 years old, was with Coach Adele. And he was the head coach at Army when I was in, in grade school. And uh, the opportunity to go and work uh, for him and, and be on his staff was, again, like another uh, dream come true. Because right. um, I loved him when I, I loved him as a little kid. I was a huge Army fan. It was the reason why I went to a recruiting trip at Army um, was because of him. Uh, he had moved on to Maryland, but it was only a year or so before I was in high school there. Um, so, you know, it, it was just that, that opportunity, again, to not only work with Coach Adele and be around him and Coach Slop, uh, but, but to be at, to be at a, an institution like Maryland. And, again, knowing the rivalry that I had when I was a player. I was recruited by Maryland. My best friend went to Maryland, Billy Ralph. Um, so I just had a great connection to, to the program already. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a great opportunity. And again, I was very fortunate how it worked out because I was actually chosen second for the job. Uh, huh. Chris Colbeck was, was chosen above me. Um, and oh, wow. what ended up was, is that John Hawes was the, um, uh, Hawsey, left Hopkins to go to Washington college mm-hmm. as an assistant. And Dave Petramala was at Loyola and Dave mm-hmm. went back to Hopkins and Chris Colbeck then went back to his alma mater at Loyola. Oh, wow. So it kind of all happened. So originally I was told that I was, thanks for the interview. You did a great job, but we hired Chris Colbeck. And oh. two days later, two days later, those move those moves all happened. And Coach Adele called me back. Uh, oh. and, and, and at first I was like, well, I'm not going there. They didn't want me. And my wife, of course, <laughs> talked me into calling him back and saying I would, I would love to come down and, and take the job. So wow. if it wasn't for my wife, I don't think uh, that, I, that I would have done it. Uh, but, um, huh. yeah, so, so, you know, again, things, things work in, uh, in, in funny ways and, and right. how you get to different. But so I took the job and, uh, you know, and, and it was funny because when I took the job, my wife, this was in almost September. It was right in the first week of September. My wife was a school teacher and she held our benefits and mm. all that kind of stuff. Like I said, I was a volunteer at Delaware. Right. Um, and, and she, so she had to stay in Delaware and I was moving to, to, uh, college park. So uh. living there by myself, I lived with my brother for a month and then, uh, Dave Petro had just, uh, unfortunately just gotten divorced and he needed a roommate. So I ended up living with Dave in 1995 and we lived together while he was coaching the Hopkins and coaching my younger brother, David. And then I was coaching <laughs> Maryland and, tra- and, and traveling down to Maryland. So uh, when you talk about the rivalry and all that kind of stuff, so the week we played, you know, was unbelievable. You know, was, all year we watched film together. We watched, you know, similar opponents together. Right. Uh, we did a lot of we did a lot of things together. But that week when we played each other, then it was uh, you know I came home and I had you know uh, pots and pans in my bed and you know stuff like that. <laughs> so, That's uh, unbelievable. And they and they end up beating us uh, in the in the regular season, uh, sixteen to fifteen. Uh-huh. And then we, and then we flipped the tables in the semifinals and we beat them, uh, which is probably one of the most bittersweet days of my life because my brother was a junior. They were undefeated, and, uh, oh, and we, we went out and beat them sixteen to eight. So uh, you know it was it was, but it was quite a year though. Again for for Dave and I to to both yeah, be at this uh, level and and, uh, and competing against each other, but. But being friends and, and having having a great year together was uh, was pretty neat. 
Uh, that, that's incredible. Were you guys able to talk to each other after the games? Or what? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah, it was funny. Again, the regular season one was what it was one thing. Yeah, um, it was. It was you know, that after the semifinal. It was uh, that was a tough one. Like I said, right. it was uh, a great feeling for me as a Maryland coach and 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 having pride in what we did as a team. Uh, but I felt terrible that, that I crushed my brother's hopes of uh, of playing in a national championship. Oh, so. Man, that's tough. <laughs> and, and you know we had i must have had 30 to 40 family members there and they were all dressed in blue and black for my brother and which they should have uh, been because wow. he was playing and uh right. so it was it was tough yeah wow. but it was it was like i said it was a really great year because again you know dave and i did so much together every night we come home we would talk recruiting we would talk you know x's and o's and stuff like that so like you know it was a it was a really neat year for me to grow you know being in a new position uh, you know, being with him, him being again, a year older than me being my, my, you know, my host on my, my recruiting trip to being my, uh, my, I live with him in my fifth year in college also. And then to go back together again, it was just a, it was a neat, uh, neat time for us both. Wow. You know, I think we learned a lot from each other throughout the, the course of the year. Hmm. Yeah. That just shows, it, sh- it shows, it really shows how small the lacrosse world was. I mean, still is especially oh, back yeah. then. Right. It was um, very, yeah. very small back then. It was right. nothing like it is now. I mean, there's, there's programs out there now that I honestly, I don't know the coaches and I don't know that, the, you know, it's, you know, back right. then, you know, we knew everybody, you knew everybody from every team, every program, you know, yeah. when I was playing, when I was a player, there was only 26 schools, 27 schools playing. Right. So now, right. now there's 73 or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so let's talk about uh, you know th- that that time in Maryland. Uh, I mean, you're working alongside uh, you know sort of a, a legend in his own right, Coach Dick Adell. Well, what what did you learn from him while you were there? Well, I think you know between him and Coach Sloth, both uh, to be honest, it was a, it was kind of a dual a dual thing. And like I said, when I first started, when I first went to the lacrosse camp, Coach Sloth and Coach Adell were together at West Point. You know. Uh, they were together for 30 something years uh, from the army days all the way through the Maryland days. Um, but I think, I think the, the biggest things I learned, <laughs> like I said, when I was with coach Shields, I think I learned a lot about X's and O's. And I learned a lot about coaching and, and again, and, and deal with that. I think what I really got from coach Adele was, um, was more of the, uh, I really transformed myself into understanding what it would take to be a head coach. Um, I really, really watched how he dealt with people, how he dealt with our secretaries, how he dealt with our, um, our, our custodial staff, our equipment staff, our, uh, the business people, you know, um, he had such a way about him of making you feel really good, making mm-hmm. everybody feel, uh, like they were important, um, that they were not, that he was not above them. Uh, you know, he, he, he always had a joke for people. He always had something funny to say or something to say. He was always very interested in you. Um, I remember again, when I was at a camp, I was in sixth grade, I got hit, had to go to the hospital. He took me to the hospital. He must've asked me a hundred questions, <laughs> you know, and, and this the conversation. So it was, it was he, he always made it feel about you. He coaches always makes you feel when you're done talking to him, it just, you, you just feel good about yourself because uh, he listened to you and he, he right. wanted to know about you and your family um, and those things and, and, and that compassion for people, you know, I always remember things when we talk about cutting a kid or doing this, he would always say, well, think about it as if this was your son or your brother, 
you know, how would you feel? Is this the right thing to do? Right. Um, you know, those types of things. So I think, I think the compassion and the, the willingness to, uh, to, to engage in conversation, engage people uh, outside of our group, you know, um, th- those are things that you, that you learn. And, yeah, and I think what makes you a successful head coach um, is it's not about you. It's not about what mm. you're doing at that time or your time. Uh, but it's it's about the people around you and how do you make the people around you feel. And I think uh, Coach Adele wasn't an unbelievable X's and O's guy. Coach Sloth mm-hmm. was our X's and O guy. Coach Sloth, before I got there, ran the offense, and he's a tremendous defensive coach. So when I got there, I eventually took over running the offense uh, into into my first fall there. It took a couple of weeks for them to kind of gain, you know, for me to kind of gain their trust. Mm-hmm. But I think once they saw how confident I was in myself, it Coach Adele put Sloth on defense, and then mm-hmm. Coach Adele kind of became, you know, the head coach who just kind of monitored both of us. Um, so, you know, he wasn't that X and O guy, but our guys would run through a wall for him. Like the, his motivation and how he, again, he how he instilled confidence in his players to play hard for for him and, and for for their teammates. Um, those are the things I took, I think, the most from from being around him for the for the time it was. And I just talked to him probably two hours ago. Um, I talked huh. to him probably twice a week. Um, I talked to him all the time. He's, you know, he comes to my games when I'm at Maryland or I'm at UMBC. Huh. Um, you know, I see him quite a bit. I visit him when I'm down there. Um, so we have a great relationship still to this day. Uh, Coach Slop, same thing. Coach Slop was at my game last weekend and I talked to him on the phone and, um, you know, again, it was, uh, everything was about family for him, you know, and, and, and his family is so tight and, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm, that I'm part of his family and, and the greater Maryland family, uh, which is, which is awesome. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, even as I went to, uh, don't know if you remember, but, uh, I went to Maryland mm-hmm. lacrosse camp, uh, in seventh grade, yep. even as a socially unaware seventh grader at Maryland lacrosse camp, I remember, um, all the things that you just said about Coach Adele, um, I could tell were true, right? Like I, I remember what the what the what the camp counselors said about him, or how they uh, how they acted and sort of around him, um, and I remember the way that he talked to me. All um, I, I would mirror all the things that you said, even in like the little small amounts of interactions that I've had with him. Um, I'm I'm curious. You mentioned one thing. Uh, you know. Uh, you mentioned one thing about how it took a few weeks, but you eventually earned their trust. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you went about earning their trust so that you were the the offensive coordinator? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I came in, like I said, I, I left Delaware with, with really good confidence, uh, you know, that, that Coach Schultz had shown in me and, and our offense was doing uh did really well, you know, my, my three years while I was there, um, you know, and, and I got to Maryland again and coach Soft had been running the offense and, and they played a little bit of a slower tempo. Um, and, and the one thing that shows really allowed us to do at, at Delaware shows played the game fast and, and we didn't, you know, we weren't a slow down team and we went to the goal. And, um, so when I got to Maryland, I kind of, you know, again, I, I think, I think they saw how I interacted with the kids. Um, my first week, my first couple of days there, I went out with, uh, with two, two of the captains, Greg Neal and, and Dan Radebaugh, and we talked about their goals and what they wanted to do. And, and, 
the goal was they wanted to they wanted to win a national championship and they and they felt they could. Mm-hmm. And I looked at them both and I said I said you guys are seven and six the last two years. I said, what do you, what do you, what's going to be the difference here? What's going to be, what's going to make the difference? What, what's going to, what's changing? Okay. From seven and six to winning a national championship. Um, and they said they had the talent, but they just weren't focused. And now they were seniors and uh, they were captains and they were going to, they were going to make sure that everybody was prepared and, and ready to go uh, every day in practice. Um, so I kind of, like I said, I, I kind of built a bond, I think with some of the players first um, right. and, and the players, the players on the offensive end started to take to me. Um, I was, uh, I was very positive, um, but I was also very stern and I was very, um, very serious about what I did. And, and I think they saw how, how, in a sense, how much knowledge I did have uh, with, with the offensive side of the ball. Um, And I, and I started to push a little bit on, on changing our style and, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, up in our tempo a little bit and starting to, you know, move the ball a little bit faster and, and, and play a little bit faster, stuff like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, I just think over the course of the first try two to three weeks, um, I think they started to realize that, that I did have a, I have a pretty good knowledge of, uh, of coaching the offense. And I, and I had a good confidence about me, um, that they, that they felt was, uh, that they could trust, you know, and I right. think I, I earned their trust by showing, by again, great creating those relationships with the kids. And we had a couple of young kids too. Andrew Whipple and Matt Hahn were freshmen, Attackman as well. Um, Peter Hillgartner was a sophomore. You know, again, I, I really, I, I, I think they could sense the fact that I, I connected with the team very quickly. You know, and and with the personalities on the team. And I think that's one of that's one of my strengths um, is 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 my ability to uh, to build relationships with kids. Um, you know, in in a positive way. And I think they I think they felt that and sensed that. So it probably was about about three to four weeks in. You know, all of a sudden they kind of, you know, they kind of kept kept giving me more responsibility as the fall went on. Right. Um, you know, and then we went to our fall tournament up at uh, up at Princeton. It was one of those like five games and how many, and uh, and we dominated. You know, and we oh. and we we won all five games and and uh, you know you could kind of you could kind of sense it and and the captains held to their word. You know, they they held guys accountable. Hmm. You know, I think one of the greatest stories I've ever I always told about captains is, you know, we're in a huddle one time and. And uh, Coach Adele was talking, and a couple guys were horse, horsing around on the outside. And, uh, geez, all of a sudden you heard one kid almost scream. He yelled so so loudly in the background. Uh, but Dan Radeball had slashed him right across the back of the legs because he oh, wasn't wow. paying attention. And uh, wow. that caught everybody's attention. And uh, that, was, that was in the fall. And, yeah. uh, and uh, so I think, I think they really did. The kids, they really meant it. And, and uh, you know, we come up four four goals short in in the in the national championship game against Syracuse that year. So, wow. um, you know, yeah, it was it was it was a really it was a really uh, it was a really neat year, you know, yeah. and and, uh, and it kind of propelled us then for the next couple of years with the group that we had. So right, right. Um, so so what ended up eventually uh, drawing you to Albany? Well, I got a call one day from uh, from Mr. Jim Lindsay. Um, There's a a family from Yorktown. Uh, they went to Lakeland, but they were, you know, from Yorktown areas, you know, the town is split in two, uh, Yorktown's, uh, high school and Lakeland high school. So, uh, Mr. Lindsay called me, um, I had coached Jimmy in some, uh, camps and stuff like that. And then Sean Lindsay went on to play at, at uh, at Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, but Jimmy was here well, Jimmy was here at Albany. He had transferred from Towson back to Albany. And, uh, he called me and, and said, 
hey, they're 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 you're going, you know, Albany's going to Division One next year, and uh, yeah. you know, he's like, I think it'll be great great spot for you, you know, and and uh, you know, and then honestly, it was it, it didn't it didn't take me very long, uh, honestly, within within seconds of him telling me that, my brain started turning, and mm-hmm. uh, and I said, wow, it's an unbelievable opportunity. State of New York's never had a Division One. Uh, university, you know, Syracuse was really the only one, and Army mm-hmm. and Cornell, you know, those are all private places. Yeah. Um, where the state never had a team, you know, the state never had a, you know, didn't have an Ohio State or a Penn State or a, you know, or a University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, being a New York guy, I, I, uh, I just kind of felt, uh, you know, I, I really felt attracted to it right away, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I just thought of the the possibilities of having an in-state, you know, uh, tuition. And and from Long Island to Buffalo to recruit from, right. and it's a it's an outstanding academic school. Our business school is absolutely tremendous. Our criminal justice. Um, so academically, I didn't think it would you know it was going to be an easy sell. Um, and then again, like I said, this the state the in-state tuition and uh, you know I think at the time when I first took over, you know our in-state tuition was about four thousand um, oh, wow. dollars. It cost less cost less than ten thousand dollars to go to school here. So um, I just I honestly I. I thought it was a neat opportunity too, because I wasn't taking over, you know, for a coach Adele or for a Bill Tierney or for a Don Zimmerman or, mm-hmm. you know, or for a, an Ace Adams or, or a Dom Starja. You know what I mean? I wasn't taking over for Roy Simmons. I wasn't taking over a program that had already been established and, and mm-hmm. had their alumni set. I was, I was, I was going to start my own program. I was going to have an opportunity to do everything from, the, you know, choosing the color of our socks, the choosing, you know, hmm. right, right from the beginning, you know, and, and, right. and doing all the recruiting and, and starting and starting my own program. And I, and I thought, you know, there's no, there's nowhere to go with this, but up. Right. You know, hmm. like I said, I wasn't taking over a program that had just won a national championship maybe a year or two before. And then I had to live up to that expectation. <laughs> right. <laughs> the expectations right. when I first started were pretty low, so it wasn't mm-hmm. much. You know, there was there was a, there was a lot of room for growth. I thought, you know, right. Uh, but right. I just I just I just so desperately wanted to be a head coach at that time too. I was I had been an assistant now for nine years at the two different programs, mm-hmm. and I felt like I just you know, I was ready to move on. I had two right. kids at the time. Uh, again, I was making you know nineteen thousand dollars, I think, all total. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I wanted I wanted to. I wanted to get on my own and, and, and start my own, start my own life in a sense, you know, and, right. you know, and, and we, you know, my wife and I just, you know, we started looking at the weather and what it was like in upstate New York. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, being from New York, I just, I just felt like it was like coming home. And, uh, I mean, I'm obviously very happy that I made that decision. Right. Right. So, so how did you approach that challenge at the start of the D one error at, uh, at Albany, um, yes, you're not, you know, taking over from like a Dom Starzia or, you know, a Desco or a Simmons or anything like that, but you're basically, you're basically building the program from the ground up. How do you approach something like that? How did you think about it? Well, I thought about it, but I mean, to be honest with you, the program was a, was a program here. It wasn't a brand new program. So there mm-hmm. was players here. Um, you know, Steve O'Shea and Mark Wimmer were here before me for 14 years uh, in the D three era, and they they didn't have a losing record the entire time they coached. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a foundation. So it wasn't it wasn't empty, you know. what I mean, right. uh, but they were but they were D three players basically. Um, so those guys actually recruited the first class of kids 
for the Division One because the first year we went to Division One, lacrosse hadn't gone to a full-time coach yet. So I came in actually the second year of Division One, but I was the first full-time head coach. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Basically, I had a I had two classes uh, that they had recruited, um, which were two really solid classes of kids. Uh, the character of the kids, uh, you know, the 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 work ethic that we had in those two classes um, was was really good. And those those two classes really built the foundation. Like an Al Beach, uh, Luke Smith, um, Sean Donellan, John Smith, Jerry Smith, uh, Mike Salazzo, Roy Vaccaro. Um, and then basically for me, when I came in, I had that and it was like, okay, now I've got to, you know, I've got to go out and find my own kids. I've got to find who I like. And Mm -hmm. so the recruiting piece of it was obviously was the huge part of it. Um, and I was very, very fortunate my first year, um, that I landed, uh, Luke DeQuino was an all American at Sachem. Kevin Mm -hmm. Ray was an unbelievable. I was recruiting Kevin Ray at Maryland. And we happened to get a diff- another goalie. It was between Kevin and another goalie. And another goalie committed before Kevin. So Kevin was kind of left out to, to hang. So when I took the job at Albany, I went right to Kevin. And uh, this young man named Pat McSweeney was a defenseman from Marcellus High School. It was between us and Syracuse. And I got him. Um, and then Brendan Russell was a Navy going to Navy. And he decided not to go to Navy. And then he came. So right off the bat, I got four or five really quality players to be in my first recruiting class. Um, Chris Kivlin who's now head coach at Queens college. Uh, you know, just not only good, good players, but good character kids. Um, but Luke DeQuino and Kevin Ray are really the cornerstones uh, mm-hmm. of the program in a sense. Uh, Kevin ended up being three time MVP of our, our American East championships in 2003, four and five. Luke mm-hmm. was our first all American um, in, in 2005. Uh, and those two guys I thought could have played really anywhere in the country. Um, so I, I got really, really lucky that first year that I got those guys. Um, and we went from three and eight my first year to my second year when those guys were freshmen. Uh, we went to nine and seven. And we were five and zero oh in the conference. We were number one seed in the conference. And we had just gotten into the conference. So it just kind of fell into place. And then the next year I got Frank Resiteris and Merrick Thompson and you know, and a host of other guys, and it just started to roll. So the recruiting piece, obviously, for any program is the biggest piece of the puzzle. You know, you can't uh, – you, you have to have the players in order to, in order to be successful. So I think we, we got uh, – we did a really nice job early on, myself and, and John Speck, who uh, is now the head coach at Siena. You know, John got, came from Loyola High School uh, – Loyola College. I coached with John at some camps. So I brought him on as my first assistant my hmm. second year. Uh, and he helped with recruiting also. So we got really, we got, we got, we got really fortunate. We got really lucky with, with, uh, with some of the kids we got early and then we had some early success. So that kind of bred, you know, into more success with more kids, you know, and then, and then so on and so forth. So, right. Um, right. Yeah. So, so I'm curious. So, I mean, over the years you've had, uh, you know, the country's most potent offense um, offenses. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, like what is your, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, what, what's your offensive philosophy? How do you have your teams approach the game from the offensive side? Well, the first thing is first is that we're, we're a next play mentality team. Um, and that meaning I'm not afraid to make a mistake. Good or bad play, we're just looking forward to the next play. Um, I don't, we don't harp on turnovers. 
Um, we don't harp on on uh, we we harp, we harp on more mental things, bad decisions. You know, we try to work on decision making, those types of things. But um, we we want to you know we we want to play a faster game. So really, when I first got here, the first thing that I started doing in every practice. Every drill that we did was an up and down drill. It was a north south drill. We didn't do line drills. We didn't do normal stuff. Any kind of line drill we did was was from goal line to goal line or from restraining line to restraining line, where we were constantly pushing the ball forward, learning how to catch and run on the on the fly, getting upfield. So basically, I went back to my high school roots of of creating odd man rushes, creating two on ones, creating three on twos, those types of things. Um, and, 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 and we also just, you know, we just inundated the kids with having fun and we made drills fun and we made competition fun. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in smiling and practice and enjoying practice and having, and having a good time. And, and, and my kids don't fear making mistakes because we don't put the emphasis on, on not making a mistake, mm-hmm. you know? So when you're not thinking about making a mistake and it happens, okay, we'll get the next one. You know, and right. we'll get the next one. So we say that all the time. If you're ever on my sideline in a game, you'll hear us if the ball gets thrown away or whatever, get the next one, get the next one. So, again, that right. next play mentality. Um, and I think my guys play looser because of that, and they're not afraid to make mistakes, and they're not afraid to try to make plays happen when we need them to happen. So, you know, so if I need a home run or I need a double, you know, we'll go for it because they don't have that fear of failure. You know, and, right. and, and failing's not a – Failing's not a problem for us. It happens, and and I think I think there's so many teams out there that put so much emphasis on yelling at mistakes that kids end up making more mistakes because they do. You know, you always hear this one. I'm just gripping my stick a little tighter because coach is going to yell at me if I turn the ball over. But we don't yell at you if you turn the ball over. Okay, I don't like turnovers. Nobody does. Um, you know, but we we don't harp on them. We don't make it like it's the end of the world because we're going to get the ball back. We're going to ride it back. We're going to get a save. You know, we're going to get a face off, whatever the case may be. So right. um, I think having that, that mental attitude of, of playing without the fear of, of failure as uh, you know, is, is really important to our guys. And, and, right. and again, we really make everything, we really make things fun. We, 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 we really enjoy practice. My guys love coming to practice. They always have, when I was at Maryland, we did, like I said, when I was, but since I've been here, my guys love coming to practice. It's not a chore. It's not an, Oh my gosh, we got this today. We mix things up a lot. We don't keep things the same. We keep it fresh. Um, you know, and, and I think those types of things create a really positive atmosphere and then a positive feeling every day in practice. And that's, that's really what we're trying to do is just create a good positive vibe, you know, right. and, and, and it's okay. It's okay if something doesn't go right, because it's right. it's bound to happen. Doesn't right. matter what team you're on, where you are, what level you're playing at. You know, guys make mistakes and it happens. If you harp on it, it just I think it just makes it worse. Right, right. You know, I, I mean, I, I can honestly say I, I think I've said this once on another podcast, but I can honestly say the turning point in my freshman year at Virginia was when I realized that it's okay to sort of you know you make a mistake, you can take a deep breath and realize that you know what. When you do a good thing in the next play, everybody's going to forget about the mistake that you made. So the mistake mm-hmm. means nothing, right? Uh, I like that the the next play, next play mentality. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm 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 kind of curious, uh, you know. And when I heard you say uh, Coach Schillinglaw, uh, you know, sort of gave you the freedom and, and uh, or uh, gave you the ability to to be free and sort of gave you this confidence. Um, 
did that sort of lead into the way that that you coach right now? Because because I I know it struck me that uh, it seems like you give your players that sort of freedom as well. Did did that first year sort mm-hmm. of lead to that philosophy, or did you have that beforehand? There's no doubt. I mean, again, and I think where I came from in high school and where I went to college were two polar opposite atmospheres. Uh, my high school days were very carefree. My coach was very liberal and we played the game and we had fun and, and, uh, not that I didn't have fun in college, but, um, <laughs> you know, Hopkins was, Hopkins was very much more businesslike and right. you did grip your stick tighter because if you made a mistake, you were coming out of the game. Um, uh, so, you know, again, I think every opportunity for any person in, in life, you learn from every situation <coughs> you can, you can grow one way or another from situations and I took what I learned in high school, what I'd learned in college, and then when I started coaching with Coach Hills, I knew a lot of things that I wanted to do, and then there were things that I didn't want to do. There were ways I didn't want to coach, and there was ways that I did want to coach. Um, and like I said, he gave me that opportunity. So when I – let's just say just hypothetically, I went somewhere else where I went to a more stricter coach and a and someone who wasn't you know uh, wasn't as as, uh, as loose as Coach Hillenlaw was in a sense – um, you know, personality wise. And, and I was stifled and I wasn't able to have that creativity. Where would mm-hmm. my career be today? Right. He gave me that opportunity to be creative because of who he was as a person. Okay. Mm-hmm. How confident he was in himself and his team. Okay. But, but again, who he was, Coach Law mm-hmm. was, I mean, one of the funniest guys I know. We had an unbelievable time in the, in the locker room, in our office, off the field. His family was great. He had three daughters uh, you know, his wife, Tina, and the girls are, are, are like a family to us. But he, you know, he, again, he, his personality gave way to mine. And that, mm-hmm. that helped me grow in those three years into the confident person I was to go to Maryland. And then when I got to Maryland, Coach Adele took that confidence and created more confidence by giving me other things to look at in life other than just coaching the X and O's part of thing. And then I became a head coach. And then I did things my way and how, you know, and I, and I took what I learned from those years, what I learned from my father, you know, my family, my brothers, my sister, you know, all this stuff. And, and again, everybody learns at different ways and stuff, but you, you have to be fortunate in life too, to come across the right people. You right. know, and I was very fortunate that I came across the right people. Coach Law gave me that opportunity to be Scott Marr. He didn't mm-hmm. want me to be somebody else. He didn't want me to be like him or like, you know, he gave me the opportunity to be me. And that's what propelled me to, again, to where, to where I am today. And I just grew right. every year from him to the years I was at Maryland. And then the years I'm here, I still go back and talk to him. I talk to coach Adele, you know, and then you still, you still have people you need to talk to, to keep getting through situations and all that kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but that's, 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 you know, again, I think it was very, very fortunate to come across the people in my life that I did. Right, right. Yeah, I, th- I think the key thing that he said was uh, he just allowed you to be yourself, right? I mean, th- that's something that took yep. me a while to realize was, uh, you know, the only way that you're going to be relaxed and be able to be creative and be able to think outside the box and, and really be the best version of yourself is to figure out who you are and to, you know, be that way. It sounds, mm-hmm. you know, a little metaphysical or, or heady or whatever, but I think it's really important. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious, what's, uh, so this year, 2018, what's the, what's the goal of, uh, Albany lacrosse? What are you guys focused on? Well, I think we focused on, on, 
you know, like like most te- a lot of teams do, and people talk about. It and uh, I'm a big hockey guy, uh, so the process or the process, as a lot of the hockey guys say, uh, <laughs> we really wanted to focus on. We really wanted to focus on the process this year and the process of of not necessarily winning, but how to win. Um, again, the process of having fun and enjoying every day, enjoying the moment. Uh, living in the moment, uh, not looking ahead so much, um, you know, but, but our goals were, you know, coming in, you know, with a, with a senior class that's been the two quarterfinals, um, you know, we, we really do want to take that next step. And, and, you know, for our program, again, I've been here 18 years. Uh, we've been to the quarterfinals four times. You know, we'd really like to make that next step and, and get to that final four. Uh, and and I, think, I think we have a group that's capable of it, you know, but I think we do have to stick to the process and stick to, um, you know, uh, what what we can do and what we can control. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, again, again our short term our, our our short term goals are week to week. Longer term goals are obviously to win our American East uh, Conference uh, tournament to get the automatic qualifier for sure. And then mm-hmm. our longest goal is obviously to to win a national championship. And uh, you know. I, I think we've done a really good job all year of staying grounded and staying in the moment. Um, I think we uh, we we had a little slip up last week where I do think we got ahead of ourselves. We were going into a bye week this week, uh, mm-hmm. and we were playing uh, UMBC, and I don't think we stuck to the process. I think we did start to think ahead a little bit to a week off and what we were going to do, and it came back to bite us. So it, it just proves to us, it, pro- it proved to us um, that you can't overlook anybody, and, and not that we were overlooking UMBC, um, you know, but we just didn't. Um, our mindset wasn't great going into the week, um, and and it was a shorter week. We had taken a Monday off for Easter. The game got moved from Saturday to Friday, um, and I just don't think that we were mentally prepared like we had been for the previous ten games um, mm-hmm. to, to to play against UMBC. And 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 credit to them, they played outstanding. And uh, and they beat us. They just flat out beat us. It wasn't even it wasn't even close to be honest with you. Right. Uh, never had momentum, and they did. And but I, but I, in in the long run, I do think um, it, it it could be very good for us because boy, we've had two unbelievable days of practice here uh, so far this week. Um, our our focus is 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 right back to where we were. Um, probably the best couple of practices we've had in probably two or three weeks. Um, we are banged up quite a bit. We need to get some guys healthy. So the bye week came at a, a kind of a good time for us. Um, right. So, um, but again, the, the goals the goals are at the end of the day is 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 we talk every day uh, and before every game and we talk at practice is there's two things that we control is our attitude and our effort and uh, we want to have a positive attitude and we want to have 100 percent effort in everything we do. So right. that's those are kind of the the backbone of our of our uh, of our team, you know, is, is, is right. those two things. Um, and, and I, and I think, uh, again, we're, we're, we're excited, uh, to finish off this regular season here. We got three games left, uh, and then get into our Americas playoffs. And, and then after that, hopefully the NCAA playoffs. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fun group, but, you know, again, one, one of the things I really learned from, from Lyle and Miles and, and Mr. Thompson, Jerome Thompson, you know, is that you, you know, you, you play the game, and you play it hard, and you and you play it for fun, uh, and you play it to be creative. But at the end of the game, regardless of win or loss, you accept the outcome and you move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we that's what we've done. And and it, it hurt to lose on Friday night, but you know what? It's over. 
and we're looking forward to our next game, which is uh, in a week from uh, a week from Friday right. against Binghamton. So, you know, like I said, I told the, I told the boys yesterday, you don't take it for granted what you're doing here. You know, we're out mm-hmm. here, we're playing across, we're having fun. You're in college. Um, there's a lot of things going on in the world that are that are not this good. You know, and, right. and uh, right. don't ever take don't ever take it for granted that you're that you're playing a sport and you're having fun. You know, doing it and. Uh, Right. Yeah, you know, so that's you, know, you got to put life into perspective. You know, losing games, winning games. You know, at the end of the day, again, you accept it, you move on. Life's going to move on. You know, and right. uh, just be thankful. Be thankful for the opportunity to to uh, play this great game and, uh, and 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 enjoy life. Right, right. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, so there's there's one thing you said um, that I want to ask you about. Um, you know, you said that you you're focused on process and you're focused on on how to win. Um, if you could, could, could you? Uh, tell us more about that what what is uh, the reason why i ask is it's hard i would imagine it's hard to teach um you know teenage and 21 20 year year old kids um to focus on the process without thinking you know i want to win a national championship or i want to win an american east championship how how do you sort of focus on that how do you keep them grounded day to day and and focus on the moment as you said well i think i think there's two ways to look at it i i do think um and I've, and I've always done this and, and, and you, you have to visualize winning a national championship. You have to picture that in your head. You have to picture winning an America's championship. You have to have those dreams. You have to have those thoughts in your head for it to be, to, to become a reality. Um, you, it just, those things just don't happen. You, you have to, there has to be that visualization. There has to be that goal in your head that you want to attain so it has to be there that you that you want to win that, and you and you picture yourself winning it, and you picture yourself holding the trophy, or you picture yourself scoring a goal. But we talk to our guys about those that yes, those are the those are the long term goals, and you want to have that in your sights. But the process of winning is how hard are we going to work to get in shape? How hard are we going to work to understand the offense? Are we going to watch film? Are we going to go through skeleton offense? You know, how hard are we going to practice? Again, controlling your effort and your attitude every day to get the process down, the process of practice, the process of, uh, again, learning the offense, learning the defense, you know, paying attention when you're not in those types of things and and teaching guys that they need to engage for the two hours that they're at practice. They need to engage for the half hour, 45 minutes that they're in film. They need to engage off the field and watch film on their own. So it's about getting them to focus on the things that are necessary to do well in order to, earn a victory at the end of the day you have right. to have ground ball you have to have goals you have to be able to catch and throw so how do you get to those things well you practice ground balls in your in your drills you practice throwing the ball against the wall to get your stick skills better you go out and shoot on your own you know those types of things are you willing to put in the extra work that's going to take to be great because it doesn't just happen in practice so it's you know, the engagement of everything off the field doing the right things off the field and socially uh, in the classroom you know, the more distractions that you have off the field, they distract you on the field. So right. the less distractions you have off the field, we say at the end of every game, what do I want tonight, guys? And they say, no distractions. Exactly, no <laughs> distractions. So staying staying socially aware, um, staying uh, academically aware, um, you know, those types of things. But, again, learning the day-to-day process of, uh, you know, again, those, those little things that you need to do every day in practice on and off the field um, to make yourself a better a better player. Um, right. and, and a lot goes into that. And that's a lot of concentration. And that's a lot of hard work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you, you do have to really, um, you do have to focus and, 
and engage yourself, like I said, on a daily basis. Right, right. I like it. I like it. So can you uh, can you walk us through uh, a typical season practice for you guys? Sure. Um, I'll give you today's practice. We had a lot of fun yeah. today. Um, we started uh, today with um, what we just call an OD split, where we just did some stick work, some shooting. Uh, defense did their stick work type drills. That was probably for about uh, probably about 15 minutes. Um, and then we went to, uh, um, we did a, a COQ drill, which is called a, um, it's a shortened, a, sh- a shorter drill. It's a five on five where we mm-hmm. pull the goals in a little bit. We have guys on, on the one sideline, uh, three attackmen at each end, three defenders at each end. Then we put two midfielders run out and it's an up and down. It's a continuous drill and just goes back and forth. It's more of a, uh, again, it's a really fast moving up and down. Uh, type of drill. Um, then we did uh, a thing we call swarm drill, which is a uh, is a is a ground ball drill where it works on the defense, where we the guys uh, six six offensive guys, six defensive guys rotate around the crease. We roll a ground ball out. The defense has to double the ball. We want to shut off the adjacents, and then the offense has to try to work their way out of that. And they do that twice. Um, then we do the and that's a fun one because again, it's very again everything's ball movement, everything's moving fast. Um, then we do a drill called quick start, which is, uh, um, it's basically a, it's a five on four coming from the the other restraining line down into the box, that shot, that ball gets taken in or out goal shot. Then we throw another ball in from the end line as we bring in another defender, make it a five on five. So that works on the ball going out of bounds or a shot, a shot being taken and then a restart from the end line. So it's about Mm -hmm. ball, uh, being aware, whistle ready type stuff. Um, then we did some, actually did some one-on-ones today and on both ends, middies against middies, attack versus defense. Um, and then, uh, we did a full field scramble, which is just me out in the middle of the field, rolling balls out to different parts of the area of the field and, and guys getting and going up and creating fast breaks and up and down. So today was a real, uh, everything we did today was a, was a faster type drill, uh, mm-hmm. because again, we're, we're not playing for two weeks. So we feel like we've, we've had so many games in March, um, that we didn't get a lot of time to do these drills. We had three midweek games in March and five weekend games. Um, so we had eight games in, in, in the month of March. So we played a lot. Um, so we didn't have a lot of practice time actually um, with the cool. midweek games. So they kind of mess up your week. But um, so, so today was a, a kind of this, this week we're kind of looking at is getting back into a little bit better shape uh, and getting ourselves ready here for the, for the stretch here at the end of the year. So all those drills that we did today were, were more up-tempo stuff and, and like I said, a lot of fun. And that's it's typically what we would do in a week's a week's worth of practice. So if we have a Saturday, Saturday, um, Mondays are typically film day, uh, some light workouts, some stick skills, running. Uh, not running, but we do everything we do is just stick work running. Uh, we don't do just end line running. Um, and then Tuesday, Wednesdays are 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 up tempo, full playing days, half field, full field, whatever. And then Thursdays we take off. Um, to give our legs a rest and we watch film and we do our scouting report. And then on Fridays we go back and we go out and we have a little bit more than a pregame practice. We come out in full pads and we'll do six on six and some full field stuff as well. And then we get ready to play for Saturday. So our, our, our full weeks are, are typically um, again, good, good fun weeks where I said Tuesdays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we really play Wednesdays. We scrimmage a lot. We'll do like two or three different quarters where we'll set different scenarios. Where one team will be up by this much or, 
or once people play a zone or once people do that. So we mix and match a lot of different things, but try to keep practice fresh. Like I said, try to keep it, uh, you know, different drills, all diff- all similar concepts, but different, different ways of going about them. Right. And how long, um, how long is the typical practice for you guys? Uh, two hours. Two hours. Is it, uh, is it, is it highly scheduled? Yeah. Everything's to, to everything's to the minute we have, uh, you know, we have our clock on, we have uh, music playing in the background for certain drills. Um, we have, uh, everything's timed out, you know, everything has a, has right. a time to it. So the horn blows, we move on to the next, onto the next thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very organized and, and we keep it moving and we try to, like I said, we try not to do things too long so it doesn't get stale or old, you know, we try right. to keep, uh, most drills, drills to 10 to 15 minutes. And do you go um, directly into the next drill for the entire practice, or are there little breaks in between? For the most part, like today, we didn't really have any breaks. We went run one one to the next. Um, mm-hmm. Again, we wanted it to be up tempo. We wanted them to be tired. We want them to play a little tired if they had to. Um, so we try to go from drill to drill today. Um, sometimes we'll bring them in on other days and talk to them a little bit and, and give them a, a minute or two to rest or explain what we're doing. Uh, those types of things. So just it just depends kind of on the day. But today, like I said, this this week tomorrow will be a very similar practice. We'll, everything will be pretty high tempo and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of cardio stuff. Right, right. And and I'm just curious on a on a normal given week, you, you got a game on Saturday. You would take off on on Thursday. Every Thursday. Every Thursday. Yep. What? Why is that? Yep. Well, again, you know. Um, I think at this level, you know, we don't need, uh, not that we don't need, I shouldn't say that way. I don't think it's necessary to, uh, to bang and, and, and hit each other every day. Um, so we, we designate the two days of Tuesday, Thursday to be our physical days where we do, uh, live play, full field stuff, six on six, you know, man up, man down, so all kind of stuff where we do all of our, our, our real physical, uh, body banging and all that kind of stuff. Um, Thursdays, again, we give them, we, we do a, a, a small lift in the morning. Then we go to the training room for an hour and they go and they get in the, the cold tubs and they get their legs back. I feel like we, we get, um, if you look at it this way, if you've over the years of, I've just of analyzing practice times, play Saturday off Sunday, uh, practice Monday, and then, to, and then into Tuesday, basically we would play, play Saturday, Sunday, you're off. Okay. Mm-hmm. Come back. Come back Monday, a decent workout, and then Tuesday is always our scrimmage day, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a lot. We have our legs are really fresh on that scrimmage day. Um, so that's basically the same kind of pattern you're looking at, where you play on hard right. on Wednesday, they take off on Tuesday, on Thursday, like it was a. So we scrimmage a lot, a lot on Wednesdays. Most of mm-hmm. practice is taken up with scrimmage time, and then you take that Thursday off and then you come back Friday for a light day. And then two days later you're playing, which would be your Tuesday, but now it's just really a Saturday. And right, that would be right. your you have a lot more energy and you have a lot more enthusiasm. Again, we're not burning guys out with five straight days of practice every week. Um, you know, so it really does. They really do like it. We started it three <coughs> years ago and uh, the guys loved it three years ago. And then we've just mm-hmm. done it ever since. Yeah, I, I I like that a lot. I, th- I think that's so smart. That's one of the things that I remember from uh, you know uh, from being in college, which feels like forever ago at this point. But uh, <laughs> I mean, th- there were there were certain weeks where you know, come to Friday, even though we're taking a light practice, I remember being like, man, I just feel like I'm carrying like 25 extra pounds 
just because my legs yeah. are so beat from everything that we're doing. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's really interesting. That's really smart. Yeah, thank you. Um, so so so, uh, so I'm curious. Tell me about um, how do you guys prepare for your for your upcoming opponents it, it, when you guys are are practicing during the week. Are you are you thinking about them a lot, or is it mostly focused on on yourselves? Um, two different sides of the ball. On the defensive side, we're definitely thinking about our opponent. We'll start with our scout team on Tuesdays and start implementing the other team's offense. Um, we'll have a scout. Co- we have a scout coach and our scout team, and those guys will emu- you know emulate the uh, the opposing team's offense, and they'll start to introduce that to them on Tuesday. So Tuesday, Wednesdays, they do. Um, you know, they do that on the field live and then they will, uh, again, we will have our scouting report and everything where we watch film and we go over our scouting report with names and numbers and sizes and all that kind of stuff, hands and tendencies that'll be on Thursday. Um, so the, so the, the defense will really get a solid three days, almost four days of, of the other team. Uh, whereas on the offensive side of things, we don't necessarily, uh, concern ourselves that much with how other teams are sliding and what they do. We look at it, we watch them play, we watch our goalies, opposing goalies. Uh, we try not to tell our guys where to shoot too much, so we don't think so much about where we're shooting. Um, you know, we sh- obviously we, we talk about shooting for net and stuff like that. So um, offensively, we like to feel like we, if we do what we can do and what we're capable of doing, um, then we can play pretty much against any defense that we play. Um, whereas defensively, we definitely have to be more prepared on the defensive side because you're, you're being more reactive. Whereas right. on the offensive side, we're being more proactive to what we do and how well we can do it. So, right. uh, two different, two different styles, uh, or, or, or trains of thought really when it comes to the scouting side of things. Right. Right. That makes sense. And how are you guys, uh, approaching film work? I think you said you do film on, uh, was it just Monday uh, or I guess Monday and, and Thursday? Is that right? We do. We do film almost every day. Um, okay. Maybe maybe on Wednesdays we might not do as much, um, but we watch not only our opponents, but we also watch practice from the day before. So um, so Mondays we watch our previous game. Uh, we go over our teaching points for offense, defense. Um, we go over our face-offs, all of our face-offs, and then we go over our um, just our highlights from the game, whether it be running a shot out or, you know, getting a steal or making a great ground ball or whatever. We try to mm-hmm. find highlights from the game. So we always end our film sessions on a positive note. Um, and then, so like on a Tuesday, uh, we might watch a little bit of, uh, again, we'll watch a little bit of our opponent. Um, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll watch more of ourselves in practice and stuff like that. So typically, uh, you know, heavy film Monday, heavy film Thursday, but then still lighter film on on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, just kind of, again, a couple teaching points. So we'll go from practice on Tuesday and Wednesday morning, and then we'll, we might cut up like say five to seven cuts on each side of the ball uh, and say, okay, here, this is what we did in practice yesterday. Let's work on this. And, you know, and kind of show, I think visualizing, you know, the kids seeing themselves doing things and not only seeing them do it incorrectly, but also we show them correct things, how they did do it well. Uh, it's, right. a, it's a great way for kids to learn. So um, we don't take right. up too much time with some, you know those, those days. Again, it's fifteen to twenty minutes, and then we're and then we're out to practice. So right, gotcha, gotcha. Makes sense. Um, and, then, and then finally, how do you, as a head coach, um, prepare for the upcoming opponent? What what are you looking at? How how are you thinking when you go into a game? 
you know, again, I think for me, um, I have a lot of confidence in my assistants. Um, you know, Liam and uh, Liam Gleason is my, my associate head coach. He's been with me for eight years. Uh, Merrick Thompson's been with me now for three years. Uh, Derek Eccles, my volunteers, two years. Um, but those guys do a really good job of preparing uh, our, our daily practice schedule, but also um, the films. You know, as you know, the technology today, we can we can send clips to guys and all that right. kind of stuff. So they utilize all the all the, the resources that we do have. Um, but those guys do a great job of preparing. I think for me, um, my my role is more of the overall uh, attitude and mental state of the team, how we're mm-hmm. practicing. Again, the attitude and effort side of things, um, motivating guys. Um, empowering guys to feel good, empowering guys to be confident. Um, you know, that's more of, I think, what a head coach's role becomes if you are trustworthy of, you know, if your assistants are trustworthy to prepare the team, uh, you know, for the upcoming, upcoming opponent. But um, I feel like my strengths are those individual talks that I can have throughout practice throughout the week with different personnel and different guys mm. and getting everybody on the right mindset to play and be prepared to play. Right. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a, a couple final questions, um, you know, for the, for the young kids that are listening, um, you know, about recruiting, um, you know, we talked a little bit in the beginning of the podcast about how much things have changed since uh, when you were playing, when I were playing, when I, when I was playing, um, how do you recommend kids today um, get noticed? Well, for us, how we do things, again, uh, with the magic of the Internet and email and and YouTube and all that kind of stuff, I think how we go about it is we get a, you know, we get a lot of emails and and, uh, attached with with videos. uh, And how we look at it is that we try to watch everyone. um, And Mm -hmm. if we're interested in a kid, um, we'll either contact their coach, now depending on age, because we have some, some rule restrictions on when we can reply to things. Uh, we can't reply to anybody now that's underneath their junior year. So, um, but we would, if if we're interested in a kid that we like his film, what we'll try to do is we'll try to see where they're where they're going to be in the summer. Again, most kids send where their summer teams are playing or their high school schedule. Uh, we try to get to uh, to see them play live uh, because films are films and you send highlights and highlights are highlights. Um, so you want to see a kid play live and play, and be in pressure situations or or just in different situations than they would be on a film. Um, right. But I think for us, that's that's the way most kids are seen by us, is that they get us an email with their, uh, maybe a highlight tape or something and then give us an opportunity to, to see where they're going to be um, either during their high school season and or the, the summer season for them, um, you know, to, to, to get an opportunity to watch them play live. Uh, right. You know, and again, I think, I think what ends up happening, there's a lot of sitting out there. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in um, that, that, you know, my father used to always say the cream always rises to the top. Um, mm-hmm. I think um, so much pressure is put on these kids now. They got to do this. They got to do that. They got, you know, um, for the most part, I, I really do believe if you're a Division One <laughs> athlete, a Division One player, um, you will get there. You know, and you'll be mm-hmm. seen somewhere. Um, if you're going and doing the, you know, all the different camps or stuff like that, um, or your coach gets you out there, like you will be seen. You know, right. um, I think I think for the most part, a lot of kids, you know, there's not many kids who fall through the cracks and that they mm-hmm. do. They're just at a place that they or a circumstance that out of their control, they get hurt or something like that. Or they're in a, an area that doesn't get much exposure and then you don't know much about them. 
uh, or they don't have a coach that promotes them, something like that. But I think for the most part, the kids fall where they are supposed to fall. I think mm-hmm. you, you'll find your D1 guys will fall in D1. And, uh, you know, it's pretty rare where you find a D1 guy playing at a D3 level. Right. Again, right. it might happen here or there, but it doesn't happen, I don't think, that often. So I, I think if kids are just patient and they uh, and they go through their own process of working hard and doing the right things off the field and, and, and getting their grades and, uh, and competing hard, I think they, they will get – uh, their opportunity to be seen by not only myself but other Division One uh, coaches that are out there. Right, right, makes sense, makes sense. And mm-hmm. so, finally, what um, if you were talking to uh, to a kid, um, you know, and he was saying, "Hey, I wanna, I'm hoping to play for Albany. What do I need to do to play?" What advice would you give him? Well, you know, I think it comes down to again. Um, you know, being being a team guy, I'm a, I'm a big team guy. I'm a big body language guy. Um, you know, when you're out there being recruited and you're playing, you know, the palms up or, you know, talking to your teammates in a negative fashion, um, those are things that get picked up by, by me and my assistants when we go out recruiting. Um, I think having a positive attitude, uh, being a good, solid teammate. Um, and again, you know, we're, we're, we're a good team and we're a good program. Um, you know, and, and I'd like to think that we have r- really good players, but um, you don't have to be an A player to get to, you know, I think you have to be an A person, you know, and, 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 a, and an A teammate in, in our eyes, you know, and I think, um, you know, we really look for that when we go to, when we go to watch kids play, you know, how do they act around their teammates? How are they interacting with their coach on the sideline? Um, again, you can, it's easy to tell a kid who can score or, you know, or stop a ball as a goalie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what are those right. little things that you're looking for when you go out to recruit? And I think, I think you know, we 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 really look for that that kid who is uh, is a good, solid, positive teammate. You know, and that's uh, right. that's important. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes sense. Well, mm-hmm. well, listen, Coach Mar. Uh, you know, I appreciate you've been really generous with your time. Um, but there's Thank one you. there's one one question that we've had. Uh, you know, that I've asked every guest who's come on the show. Um, what are three things that everyone should be doing every day to get better at, to get better at whatever it is they do. It doesn't have to just be about lacrosse. Well, again, you know, wake up and be positive, uh, wake up and give a hundred percent effort. And, uh, I think practicing and doing things, uh, when nobody's watching, um, those are the mm-hmm. things that are going to make you, those are the things that are going to make you a, a great player, you know, is mm-hmm. having a positive attitude and, and having having a hundred percent effort, and then again doing things when when nobody's watching, you know, to improve yourself. Right. Gotcha, gotcha, coach. That's it. awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Joe. Yeah, coach. You know what? I, while I got you on the show, I I, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to put you too much in the spot, but I do. Uh, you know, I, I'd sort of be remiss if I if I let you go. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, like like I mentioned, I went to Maryland Lacrosse Cap and yeah. In, uh, in in seventh grade, yeah, and I don't know if you remember this, and it's a little embarrassing to to mention this story, but uh, there was there was a Braveheart where I was going up against uh, another kid. We went up and down the field, I think like three or four times, and the other guy that I was going against was just exhausted. I took a shot, goalie saved it. The goalie went up the other way. I was guarding him a little bit, but it ended up the goalie scored on me in front of the entire camp. And everybody was screaming, going nuts. I was a little upset about it. I walked away with my head down, 
in seventh grade, really mad. And I'll never forget, you came up to me and put your arm around me and said, uh, you know, something to the effect of basically you said, I think you have what it takes to play at the division one level. And right. I just wanted to say, I, I just wanted to say, I, I never forgot that that meant so much to me. And, and I, I really, I, I do want to thank you for that. That was, was really great. It really did affect me in a positive way. I want you to know that. I appreciate that. And I'm, and I'm glad I had a good eye for talent because you did go on to be a hell of a player. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, coach. I appreciate it. Well, listen, thank, thanks for coming on. This was great. Uh, good luck in two weeks uh, against Binghamton. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. No worries, man. Thanks for having me, Joe. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.